Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andrego, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Today's episode, I welcome in Peter Kazadoy, who is an Inc. 500 serial entrepreneur, a TEDx speaker, and the author of the new book, Honest to Greatness, which is in bookstores now. And Peter and I had a tremendous conversation around honesty and transparency and self-awareness and a lot of the things that you can do personally if you're an entrepreneur or if you're a part of an organization to make sure that you take away a lot of the self-limiting you know, beliefs that we all have and be able to propel that into a more positive and optimistic outlook uh, for the future. So I hope you all really enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, my chat today with Peter Kazadoy. Let's get it started. Peter, welcome to the podcast, man. Thanks for joining today. It's my pleasure, Brian. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to chat with you a little bit. I know we had a mutual connection that connected us. And uh, I was really intrigued because, you know, a lot of the stuff, especially that I talk about from a sales standpoint, you know, honesty is one of my kind of three pillars of sales. So it's pretty neat what you're doing from that standpoint. And I want to get in the book and stuff like that as well. But I thought I'd take an interesting start if I could. Uh, doing some research prior. Uh-oh. I'm assuming like most people I talk to in, on this podcast is you probably wouldn't be doing what you are today if a couple chips fell a different way earlier in your life. So can you talk about figure skating a little bit? <laughs> I'm curious <laughs> I'm about that because you say you were Olympic hopeful, didn't make it. So talk me through that because that's that's a pretty high bar to get even close to that. Uh, I have this this thing, this masochistic thing I do, Brian, where I only set high bars. You know, I'm sort of the best or nothing, and that 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 is its own dishonesty that we can get into a little bit. And I'm so glad you phrased it the way you did, like chips falling, because I, I was speaking at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and literally the first point I wanted to make to the entrepreneur audience was, you know how I'm here? It, it's a little something called luck, and I don't think we talk enough in this life about how. People who end up successful, however you want to define it, they need to get lucky. That's the truth. You can argue about, you know, can you put yourself in a position to be lucky? Of course. You know, can you do things to make yourself more lucky? Fine. But you still have to have that break. So, yeah, I love the way you phrased that. Uh, Sure, I'm happy to take you back to 17-year-old Peter, who uh, was the same size, you know, all five foot seven of me. And um, there were two truths, Brian, that I was sure would occur. The first is that I was going to the Olympics as a figure skater. It was a lifelong dream. I'd been skating since the age of three. I was quite good. That's how I ended up uh, meeting my wife and my business partner and sort of setting up my life. It's had a big impact. The second thing I knew for sure was I was going to Harvard. I grew up outside of Boston. There was only one college for me. That was Harvard. Uh, By 18, it became clear that uh, I wasn't good enough to uh, ever make the Olympic team. It just wasn't going to happen. And also, I applied to Harvard. They sent me a very nice letter back saying, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Don't call us. We'll call you. Um, And those were two pretty devastating uh, things that put giant chips on my shoulder. I didn't actually know how giant until about 12 years later. Um, But there were definitely pieces of motivation that I carried with me uh, in my 20s. I started my uh, first company right out of college at... uh, graduated early from Brandeis and started a video production company with my business partner. And that's what started the whole entrepreneurial journey. Hmm. So the figure skating, cause I imagine if you've been doing that with us, so let's say 14 years and that's, mm-hmm. that's it. You're pouring, you know, you're probably waking up at 5am doing, you know, all the that type thing. of stuff. How, how do you know 
this is maybe, I don't know if it's a good question or not, because I don't, I don't know about figure say, but like, how do you know you're not good enough? It looks like you were like the New England state champion or whatever that is. Like you, you had some accomplishments under your belt. So how do you know you're not good enough? Is this not getting through Olympic trials or how do you know that? Yeah, I did. I mean, I did have some success, but yeah, I mean, on the competitions that really counted, you know, where I needed to make nationals and then, you know, get, you know, there's only two, three slots uh, every four years. <laughs> so it's, 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 a, it's timing, it's luck, and it's being really good and being good under pressure when it counts. The thing about figure skating that has made entrepreneurship relatively easy is that you spend an entire year training for a four minute performance. And it all comes down to that. And quite frankly, Brian, I just couldn't keep my nerves together. You know, I just couldn't keep it together mentally. And I, you know, I should have maybe paid more attention to that and done more to like give myself, you know, bumpers in the bowling lane. But I just, I always was like a grit teeth and bear it kind of, uh, you know, person when it came to my skating. And I think that was to my detriment. And I should have probably gotten the right help to get my nerves under control. But, you know, say la vie, now we're here. Did that help you though? Like, and whether it's now or maybe as you started from an entrepreneurship, like being able to, I guess, critique yourself in a different way and maybe be harder on yourself to say, all right, I got to check some of these things that instead of just pushing them aside, like are these relevant? Are these things that are going to hold me back? Did that help you at least going through that experience? Well, there's a, there's a couple a couple of things here. One, any solo sport, whether it's figure skating or golf, which by the way, golf looks awfully nice, right? You walk around a golf course, nice and warm. That's Should've my background. That. I could, we can go into golf all day. <laughs> Should have done that. Like that seems a lot, right? Smarter. Um, of course the, the girls in figure skating were not, not bad. Don't tell my wife I said that. Um, but uh, so there's a couple of things. One, any solo sport, very mentally challenging. Um, I think, you know, I always grew up envying teams. I was like, you can pass the ball to someone else and then they do the work. Like, that sounds awesome, right? Like, I couldn't do that. It was all on me. And so, of course, you know, being an entrepreneur, I'm used to that. Uh, the other thing is, after you fall on your ass all alone on the ice in front of 2,000 people wearing tights, nothing else is difficult, right? Like, doesn't get more challenging than that moment. So, you know, standing up in a room full of executives at 24, pitching, you know, for a million dollar account, it just, what I was like, I'm on my two feet. No one's going to knock me over. It's kind of warm in here. I'm chilling. I'm doing fine. Right. So, you know, in a lot of ways, it prepared me for, you know, performance art, speaking, doing things like this, you know, having a presence. These are all things that came back to, to that sport. What about, I guess if we stick in back there just for a little bit, cause you mentioned Harvard, obviously not getting in. What was it? Grades not good enough? Was it you didn't have the the extracurricular? Like what did did they give you any insight or just a you nice... know? Unfortunately, uh, you know, I sent them a feedback form. They didn't fill it out. I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? I couldn't yeah. make them, but <laughs> you okay. know, I, I, who knows? I don't know. Um, I went to uh, a wonderful uh, private school, <laughs> Milton. Shut up, dog. A wonderful private school outside Boston, um, Milton Academy, and um, I had a lot of friends go to Ivy League schools. You know, there I was a, a I wasn't able to be a small fish in a, a big fish in a small pond. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So um, maybe that could have been, who knows? You know, I think to blame anyone else, but, but me is probably a bad idea. Yeah. You know, but I like how you phrase it. Cause I talk about this a lot as well. That luck factor is like, you can't, you don't know. Cause if, again, if you go to Harvard, who knows, maybe that gives you a different perspective on life or, or it you know, it takes you at a whole nother path and you never, 100%. you know, and we're not sitting here talking today kind of. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I probably would not have met, my wife the way I did and the timing I did if I were not uh, at, at Brandeis. 
you know, it just wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And you said that's how you met your business partner as well. Yeah. He, he actually introduced me to my wife, you know, he, so oh. <laughs> to back up the train, um, all through high school and then college, I, I worked for my now business partner. He was an entrepreneur and owned, uh, several retail figure skating stores. Okay. And so what, what the longer story, Brian is, in 2007, when I was just about to graduate, I said, you know, why don't I uh, come down to Connecticut, it's where he lived and where I live now, and uh, I'll help you grow the stores. You know, you have four now, let's, let's do a lot more. We didn't, of course, know that 2008 was going to hit. And so uh, I graduate in 2008, and we're like, okay, well, that's bad, right? All the banks are pulling credit, all the, uh, you know, the inventory's pulling credit, like it, it was a disaster. And we said to ourselves, because, you know, we're super smart, what should we do here? Well, you know what the best thing we could do? Uh, create a reality television show about figure skating. I shit you not, this was our, our big idea. Because we watched Dancing with the Stars and we were like, who the hell cares about ballroom? But they've made it work. So, you know, figure skating, by the way, most watched Olympic sport by far, every Winter Olympic Games. This is great. We make that popular, we make the sport popular, make the sport popular, make the stores grow. Talk about, you know, honesty or lack thereof. Um, so we go to make this thing. We, we pull together a bunch of videographers and lighting people and all these awesome talent to shoot a pilot. Figured out later, didn't need to shoot a pilot at all, by the way. Went tens of thousands of dollars into debt. And now we had all these people and we were like, well, let's pull them together and try to recoup some of this and like actually sell something and make money. That'd be a good idea, right? Otherwise, the hell entrepreneurs are we. Um, so we pivoted into being a video production company. And Brian, we started at the bottom. I mean, we were shooting $800 television commercials for local car dealers, which is exactly as glamorous as it sounds. And I just remember like being like 23 and being like, wow, if, I, if we could only shoot more $800 television commercials, like we'd be rich. Well, apparently, you know, although I had taken a lot of business electives in undergrad, I didn't take a lot of math classes because if I had, I would have figured out that was a really bad idea and it would have taken forever. Um, so we ended up pivoting into eventually becoming a full service agency because we were getting hired by other full service marketing firms who we just weren't impressed with. You know, they didn't have good strategies. They would uh, abuse their clients, overcharge them. Uh, you know, they were missing deadlines. It was a disaster. So we can do that. You know, classic entrepreneur, right? We can do that. So uh, overnight, now we're a marketing agency. Oh, we're, we're a full service marketing agency now. <laughs> and um, we were shooting local, uh, we were shooting uh, videos, web videos for a local college. And one day the VP of marketing called and said, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to pitch, you know, open up for a pitch. Um, it's a, you know, million dollar budget. It was not a small account. And she was like, yeah, I like you guys. Do you want to come in and pitch for the business? Can you even handle this? You know, do you have the staff and the team and the expertise that it would take to handle a full service account? So we, we sort of like put the phone on hold and we're like, all right, well, uh, do we have like, you know, graphic designers? No. Um, do we have like account managers to do this? No, like media people? No. Uh, so, you know, it was pretty clear it wasn't going to happen. So we picked the phone back up and we're like, yeah, absolutely. We want to pitch. We'll be there at whatever time. You just give us time and day. We'll come. We'll, we'll pitch it. Um, and so we're in the pitch. And at the very end of the presentation, we show this video we've been uh, working on of all the students and what they were saying about the college. Mm -hmm. And that's when we revealed the tagline, which was going to be the center of the entire campaign. And the room goes silent and the president uh, looks down at the presentation materials and pauses. And then she looks back up and says, where did you find this? You know, I've been looking for this for years. 
And I was tempted, Brian, to say, well, we're the biggest bunch of geniuses you've ever met. If that's not clear by now, then it should be. That would have been a lie. I didn't say that. Instead, I said, uh, we didn't do this. Your students did. They're the ones that told us what you're all about. By the way, their opinion is the only one that matters. And that's actually the first time I was discovering like what honesty even means, you know, how it is that executives get honest or dishonest with what their own customers are saying, what their frontline employees are saying and feeling and thinking um, and seeing how organizations are able to capitalize on trends and achieve industry dominating success or not based on how honest they're willing to be about their own biases and self-limiting beliefs. So long story short, we won that pitch and that was our first sort of cornerstone client. And a few years later, ended up in the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in the US for a couple of years in a row and the rest is history. Man, what happened if that uh, that pilot worked out? <laughs> Who knows where you? <laughs> Who knows? I'd be in Los Angeles. I'd be much more of a jerk than I am now. Who knows? <laughs> I was wondering when did uh, when did that movie Blades of Glory come out with uh, with Will Ferrell? Yes, and, sadly, uh, after we were uh, in the middle of being told nobody wants to watch about figure skating, then a couple <laughs> years later that comes out. We're like, well, Will Ferrell disagrees. So yeah. Oh well, whatever. Timing, right? If any <laughs> producer is listening to this, this is still on the table. By the way. Would love to run a reality show about figure skating. Lots of juicy, lots of juicy stories in there. Trust me. Well, so, well, I guess let's go back. There's a couple things I want to peel back on that because some really good insight there. But what what was going through your head? Because you said you're 23 years old, you just got out of college. Now you're thrusted like you're you're pivoting. It seems like multiple times. Like, how's your demeanor at that time? What's your self talk going on? Like, do you remember back then of of how clear it was or was it just kind of going a mile a minute you couldn't even think about stuff Brian I had to like you know all this stuff about like um you know TEDx talk about honesty and a book about honesty this is more surprising to me than anyone like I was the one like most voted to continue being an asshole in high school like humility open-mindedness like I had to learn all this shit because when I was young 20s entrepreneur I could do anything I had all the answers I was going to change the world probably looking back that actually carried me through a lot of things. Mm. Also, it probably forced a lot of errors, right? Um, you know, I had to learn the hard way. Uh, I had to have life beat me up. I had to live my twenties with those big chips on my shoulder, not knowing turn 30, have a quarter life crisis and realize that everything I had built, which was wonderful. I mean, I built a million dollar company by, by the time I turned 30 was in, misalignment with who I really was and what I wanted in life. There's no more humbling experience than that. I, I can tell you that with utmost honesty. Where did that come from at the, was that upbringing or childhood or something with the figure skating? Like where you kind of had that, you know, you said chip on your shoulder, but where you mentioned you needed more humility. You maybe thought you knew it all. Um, any, anything that kind of structured that early on for you? I was always smart. You know, I was always at the top of my class uh, and I was always super intelligent. And I used to think incorrectly that intelligence mattered most, right? Smart, don't smart people run the world? Doesn't intelligence really matter? Now, when you and I turn on the news and look around at our world leaders, I think we can both agree that no, actually, that's not what matters and that's not what people value. And oftentimes intelligence is mistaken for uh, too honest, too brutal, not emotionally um, gentle enough, right? You know, people remember and react to how they feel, not what nugget of wisdom you've put into their head. I've had to learn all those things. I've had to learn how to communicate better and without ego. And, you know, I, 
I say that with all the ego in the world. That's that's self-honesty, right? So, um, you know, yeah, I've had to work to get here. Trust me. Well, I think you realize too, like it's it's always an ever evolving, you know, human being, if you will. Like it's not, hey, one day it just flicks on and, you know, I have all this empathy or I have all this humility. Or that just takes a lot of time. And some folks it's easier than others, but where it's easy, they also struggle in other areas where you may excel at. So again, it gets to go back to what we were talking about right at the beginning, kind of with the luck thing, like nothing happens overnight. Nothing is just, you know, one thing happened and all of a sudden the rest is history. Like it takes a lot of random events and a lot of self-awareness to really keep moving forward. At least that's what I believe, I guess. And Yeah. And a lot of perceptibly bad things, you know, all of the negative things that I have, that have ever happened to me that I perceived as being, you know, soul crushing and, and, you know, completely debilitating have been the best moments of my life. You know, so uh, I'm very fortunate. Barbara Corcoran recently endorsed my book. Um, I got to work on one of her companies when I was at Columbia Business School. And she has a great saying, which is, you know, life is like a, a bouncing rubber ball. The harder you throw it down, the higher it bounces back up. And it's so true. I mean, all those valleys that I had to go through were such pivotal moments for success. And in fact, when I look at you know the case studies in my book, I mean, I profile everyone from Warren Buffett to the the leaders at Quicken Loans and Bridgewater Associates and Domino's Pizza and on and on. They have one thing in common, you know, which is that they are willing to admit uh, when you know they're going through a really hard time that that actually is the catalyst for change. They're willing to be honest about what needs to change. They're willing to be honest about what they've built and tear the whole thing down and rebuild it if they have to. That's how they end up dominating by capitalizing on those low moments, not on the high ones. So I want to get into that a little bit more, but before we do that, let's, I want to talk about how did you change your mindset? Because right. I mean, there's people that are lack of a better phrase, a-holes and they've been a-holes their whole life. And you've said you obviously made a lot of changes. How, how did you realize you need to make the change? And then how'd you go about actually making those changes? You know, a couple things. First, I've seen a lot of bad leaders out there. A lot of bad, you know, I, I don't want to call them leaders, bad people in authority positions where we'll sit in a boardroom with these folks. It's clear that, you know, unfortunately they're in charge, but everyone around them hates them. Everyone around them knows that the person in authority is completely out of touch with the way the world is honestly changing, the way their customers are thinking, the way they themselves have a bias and an ego and self-limiting beliefs, and they're running their organizations into the ground. Meanwhile, everyone around them, they know the truth, right? And I never wanted to be that fool. You know, the person sitting in a boardroom thinking, I know everything and I'm successful in this, and everyone around you is like, you're like, shut up, you know? That to me really made an effect. The first time I saw it, I thought it was an anomaly. The 20th time I saw it, I thought, okay, this is probably something I should pay attention to, and I don't want to end up like that. Um, the other thing is, you know, when I when I finally got to a million dollars and beyond, I joined Entrepreneurs Organization, and I got into a forum, a forum of other entrepreneurs who come together once a month, and we have 100% confidentiality, and the whole idea is to get extremely vulnerable about what's really going on in our lives, in our businesses, um, in our families. I now run forums for other entrepreneurs below that million dollar mark because I've seen the power of what that group can do. And what happens is the more that what happens is the more I ended up sharing, the more I ended up unearthing things about me and putting them on the table and looking at them and dealing with them, 
the more I realized a couple of things. One is everything I was going through wasn't actually that scary. Uh, what other people go through can sometimes be truly horrendous and that can lead to a lot of good perspective taking. And just learning how to be a better coach in the group, you know, what, what are coaching questions? What are coaching language? How do you ditch saying you should because it can land like a linguistic blow on someone's face versus using, well, hey, this is my experience. You know, I don't know exactly what you're going through, so I'm not going to tell you what you should do because that's ego. You know, instead, hey, this is what I went through and the super powerful stuff, right? So learning all those frameworks and seeing it change my life, my friends, my, my marriage, my, you know, it's just seeing the change in my own life was even more encouraging to keep going in that direction. So how important have support systems? And you mentioned, you know, EO, but what about some other stuff in terms of, have you always had great support systems around you, people that were there to kind of lift you up, but also, you know, to criti you know, criticize a little bit of like, hey, could you be doing this a little bit better or giving you some coaching in that regard? Has that been, of course, has that been a, a positive or have you had some, some negative circles you've had to get out of as well? Um, you know, uh so has that been a positive? Absolutely. I've had incredible support. No entrepreneur does it alone. You know, even someone like Elon Musk, who you think must do every job in the organization. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not how it happens, you know? So, you know, I, yeah, I have to give credit to every single person in my life who's come in and helped me in some way, shape or form. I mean, I'm about to, you know, launch this book. This is something I, I can't do a fraction of it alone. I need people like you, Brian, to welcome me on your show and help me share the message and all that. So, you know, that in itself is is humbling. And then I'm a big fan of looking around at your life and being very honest about where the negative influences are. It, you know, I coach a lot of entrepreneurs now. And when they start telling me, look, you know, the reason why I can't go out and sell is because I don't have a lot of confidence. I don't have a lot of confidence because um, my best friend keeps telling me, you know, that I'm crazy to do this. And uh, he doesn't believe in me and this, that, and that. It's like, how long are you going to keep that person in your life? You know, don't want to be brutal about it, but this is, this is your life. This is my life. We have very little control over what happens back to luck, right? The few things we can control, like the support systems we build, the people we allow into our life to help us along in our journey, that is a selfishness that I can get behind because it's one of the few things we can control. Yeah, it's like a stoicism, right? Is you can't control what happens around you, but you can control your reaction to it. Exactly. So, um, all right. I want to get into some of the, the, the stuff with the book, because I, again, I, one, let me ask you this question. Sure. And maybe, and this is probably part of the book. What is the hourglass of honesty? I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk what about that. that. So let's first talk about what honesty is not. Okay. Uh, there's a great CEO in my book who uh, makes a point that if you're flying in an airplane and the pilots come over the intercom and they say, uh, Hey folks, uh, we're seeing storm clouds ahead. Like we've never seen before please put your seatbelts on. Not quite sure how this is going to go. We're going to hope for the best though. Maybe super honest, but it's not helpful, right? So honesty is not just like blurting out what you think all the time. Uh, you know, any parent will tell you it's probably a bad idea to tell your kids like everything about everything all the time. Like it's not helpful, right? So that's what brutal honesty is not. Instead, I stratify honesty into three levels that then fit into the central framework of the book, which I call the hourglass of honesty. And it's a framework for helping leaders and organizations transform their businesses and change their lives. It starts like this, Brian. The first level is getting honest with and about what I call the community. In other words, what's going on in society around us? 
I mean, here in 2020, we can take our pick. I mean, global pandemic, uh, continued gender discrimination, horrendous systemic racism, I mean, all of these big sweeping things that are going on in society that we need to be honest about. We can't put our heads in the sand and say, this will all blow over. I can just keep maintaining the status quo. That's just not going to work because someone out there is getting honest about what's changing and they're getting on top of that wave and they're going to ride it right ahead of your business. The second level, Brian, is getting honest with and about the others around you. Now, this is important because getting honest with the others around you, that's pretty straightforward. Sometimes you just need to be honest, right? To tell people how it is and to not sugarcoat it. But other times we need to be honest about the others around us, how they're thinking, how they're feeling, how their thought process may be very different than our own. This is where empathy comes into play, right? This is where we, we don't just wanna sometimes be brutally honest with someone. Instead, we wanna ask ourselves, how might they best receive this message based on what I know about how they think and feel and, and what they expect right now? So that's the second level. The third and final level as we come down the, the triangle is to get brutally honest with and about yourself with your own biases and self-limiting beliefs as a leader, with your core values, with who you really are and what you really want. And by the way, what it's really actually going to take to get there. What I find is that leaders and organizations that get honest on all three levels, community, others, and self, they end up actually transforming the self. Because if you think about it, honest you is very different than dishonest you. As soon as you're willing to be honest about you know, who you really are, what really makes you happy, and what you really want in life, you are fundamentally a different person. Different thoughts, feelings, drive, right? And in that moment, you end up coming back out. You actually change the others around you, as we've talked about before. And maybe that's you know, switching customers to another to serve you know, a different customer, or changing your employees, or changing your fellow executives, or your business partners, or whatever, or your spouse and family members. And when you do that, when you change the other people around you, the people that are helping you row in the direction that you now really want to go, you end up bending the community towards you and creating industry dominating results. And I have case study after case study in the book from an 11 year old Girl Scout up to Warren Buffett himself who have used this strategy to just dominate in business. Do you feel it has to work top down or can it be kind of a coalition of a small group internally in an organization that can make it move yeah it's so funny you mentioned that because yes you know it, it, i make it sound so linear and neat but it's sort of like a like a circular journey it's like a pigtail right like you're going to be constantly floating between like self and others and community and by the way each one of those things influences you you know you're, you're going to get honest with yourself based on what's changing in the community and based on what's going on in the community you may you know, get honest about the other people around you and how they're feeling and reacting to it. So absolutely, you know, this has connotations for how you, you know, how you influence and change all those levels and come out the other side. Now, in the book, I make it a point to divide to the, in part three, I, you know, go through how do you actually use this, you know, tactically. And I divide it into sections. You know, if you're a, a leader, right, if you're someone in a position of authority, an entrepreneur, an owner, a, a president and CEO, you can actually move this from the top down. You can go through this exercise. I have an entire workbook and a workshop I do with organizations and business groups where I take them through. You know, how do you move your organization through this logically and sequentially so we don't lose people? But if you're in the middle, let's say you're a middle manager or a frontline employee, that's actually the most difficult place 
to use honesty from because you don't have much formal power. So instead, you need to wield power in different ways. So I talk about ways to do that, like don't go it alone, form a coalition, you know, get a group of people together across functions in your organization to come together and say, all right, what's, what's true here? What are our customers really saying? What are the trends really changing to? And how might we actually capitalize on this and come together as a unit? One of the other things I encourage folks to do is use data. And when that fails, use data. And what that's really saying is speak in the language of the people who are decision makers. And they're looking for markers of, am I making a good decision or not? You know, <laughs> how do I know? And so the more we can test things and bring data, the better we'll do. I'll give you a great example of this, which is uh, Domino's Pizza. In 2008, they realized that um, their pizza, quite frankly, sucked. You know, they were getting all kinds of feedback from customers in their focus groups and their surveys that said, pizza's not that good. Not only that, when they put their pizza in a competitor's box, people said, well, that's actually better. I like that better. Which means they didn't just have a product problem. They had a brand problem. Okay. Now, the chief marketing officer at the time, very smart, before he even took those results to the executives, he pulled all the executives in the C-suite to figure out what they thought. Do you think there's anything going on with pizza? No? What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Okay. And then he was able to compare one against the other data and show the executives like, look, you know, what, what you think, listen, that's your opinion. You're entitled to it. It just statistically in a statistically significant way disagrees with the truth. So what do you want to do about it? It's up to you. In the face of data, it's very difficult to deny because at that point you're just, you know, a terrible business person, right? And you probably don't want to work there anymore. In fact, uh, my interview from the Domino's Pizza, that, that's what the president says. It's like, better to find that stuff out, you know, sooner than later. Maybe easier said than done, right? Um, but what they did, Brian, is they didn't just, you know, change their ingredients and like run an ad, hey, we're new and improved and that's awesome. No, the, the new CEO, the incoming CEO came in when on national television said, we're sorry, America, turns out our pizza's horrible. You deserve better than this. We're going to fix it. I don't know if you remember this in 2010. Now, if you had watched that commercial and said, now that's an organization that's getting honest about its shit. And, you know, they're making this transparent. I can see that they're trying. And what do we say? We have this phrase, thank you for being honest, right? We respect it. If you had bought their stock at that moment, you would have had a more than 3,000% return over the next 10 years. 3,000%. Just by the way, this whole strategy was go on national TV, tell America that our pizza sucks. That's how they did this. That's the power of honesty. Is, is honesty the same as transparency? Sometimes. Those... Yeah, sometimes, but not always. You know, back to my, uh, my pilot analogy, right? Right. You know, and that's back to be honest about the other people. You know, so if you're, if you're a pilot and you're thinking to yourself, ah, I just want to share everything with, with the folks in the back, do they care? What's their priority? You know, are they apt to get scared? Do they understand how aeronautics works? Probably not. You know, those are judgment calls that someone with honesty and integrity can make on behalf of other people. We should have done this. You know, it's, it's, we're, we're recording this at the end of June, 2020. Where was this approach for the pandemic? Like, where was the leader who could come out and be like, well, looks like we're going to face a pandemic. We have no idea what we don't know. We have no idea even about what we do know. Like, we don't know if this is going to come back for us. We, we have very little information here. I need all of your help to take unified action because if we don't, here's what's going to happen. Just be honest and transparent about it, right? And say to people, I need your help, please. You know, here's the upside. Here's the downside. 
Here's what we know, here's what we don't. That's a situation where transparency could come in handy. Now, on the flip side, Brian, if somehow you know the you, you imagine the intelligence community learns that uh, the pandemic's going to sweep through and kill eighty percent of people, is that something you want to go on national TV with? Probably not. It's going to cause pandemonium. So that's again, be honest about people, where they're coming from, what unites them, what moves them to action. This is all thoughtful stuff that I really hope folks who pick up the book and read can adopt into their own lives and leadership styles. Yeah. Was there a common theme maybe with your conversations that you picked up that was kind of glaring and maybe some of it's in the book, maybe some of it's more anecdotal type stuff you just picked up or? I mean, there was a ton. I'll give you one great one. A few years ago, I was in the, seemed like the depths of Manhattan. It must've been like seven floors down at Advertising Week, New York in Times Square in like an underground theater. And uh, I was writing for Inc. Magazine at the time. And after what seemed like forever, Bethany Frankel finally arrived. I don't know if you know who that is. She was a real housewife in New York, ended up building a nine figure uh, alcohol brand. Um, And she was my interview that day. So we sat down and we talked. And it turned out that she operates on something I call uh, ignorance is power, knowledge is bliss. She operates from this place of, I just don't know. And I'm going to be honest about what I don't know. Because in that honesty, she can learn, right? Instead of pretending. 10 minutes later, she's on stage with a bunch of dudes, bunch of ad executives. She's the only female. Lo and behold, one of the ad executives says an advertising term that she didn't know. She stopped the entire panel, stood up. Everyone stopped. I don't know what that means. Tell me what that means. Just imagine floating through life with a mantra of, I don't know, so tell me. Imagine what we could learn when we just shut up and ask questions rather than assume we know and assert our opinion on someone else. That's how we get the divisiveness that we have today. And every single CEO had that same kind of inquisition about them. just like an inquisitive, curious nature of, we have no idea. By the way, this is how Quicken Loans invented rocket mortgage. You know, the, the mortgage you can get on your phone. Yeah. Ricky um, Fowler, big, uh, does a sponsorship for them, I think. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. So listen, this is an organization that has a very tight culture and rules around how they operate. One of them is it's not about who is right. It's about what is right. And we say yes before no. So when someone said, Hey, um, how come we have to kill a tree every time we take out a mortgage? Why can't we just like do it on the phones? I mean, phone knows who we are. Everyone has one. Um, the managers and executives looked at each other and said, I don't know. Is that a good idea? Who knows? Go and do it. We're just going to say yes. Go and do it. And then uh, let's see how it goes, right? Imagine a company that's just like, yeah, seems like a good idea. Fits with what we do. Go try it. Let's see how it goes. Instead of some executive or middle manager deciding, no, that doesn't fit within my budget or no, if it goes wrong, I could get fired or no, for a million reasons that really are just bullshit, right? That's how a company like that invents rocket mortgage and absolutely dominates the uh, mortgage sector ahead of much bigger publicly traded mortgage providers like Wells Fargo, Bank of America, all those companies that you can imagine, they probably weren't having very honest conversations inside their walls. And it's too bad. They lost a lot of business because of it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you do allow for the kind of community, if you will, of employees to bring those ideas. You know, I think of uh, a story I heard about Disney. I think it was when Michael Eisner was there, but about how FastPass was, um, I think it was an employee just an employee, you know, thought about this, like, hey, this could help cut the lines. And all of a sudden, that's like, one of their bigger money makers there at the, uh, yeah. at the park. So it's just interesting when that happens. And you mentioned, 
one thing I remember, I think you mentioned Bridgewater, right? And, yep. and Ray Dalio always talks about like the radical candor. I remember like that's his phrase, radical candor about, you know, that meritocracy is that, and that's what you've kind of picked up is like, if that's the way you approach it, you're going to have a hell of a lot more success kind of from top down, just because you're going to allow that, those conversations to happen that maybe are not happening, right? Of course. I mean, listen, employees want to go to work and do stuff, feel like what they do matters and they can mm -hmm. be creative and they can see their ideas come to light. Really, you know, I, I call it the executive mirror, like where executives used to have all the answers and used to have to push things from the top down and figure it out for themselves. Now they can just sit back, let all those great ideas float towards them. We got all the technology in the world to make that happen. People want to share what they, you know, about what they want to do and the insights that they have. They just need to shut up and listen. <laughs> and then when something comes to them, think, you know, like a mirror. Does this reflect our core values? Does this reflect the overall strategy of where we're going? If yes and yes, and it's not going to, you know, sink the whole ship. Great. Sounds good. Go do it. Let me know how it goes. I mean, what an easy job. And yet <laughs> over the course of my career, I can't tell you how many forceful like command and control uh, authorities I've met and they're, I can watch them sinking their ship into the sea while all their best people complain about them behind their backs and then leave. What a waste. You've obviously, you're busy with a lot of stuff. You got a couple of businesses you're running, you got, you know, family, stuff like that. Why did, why did you need to write this book? Right. That, why did you, know, you ultimately need to write this book? Do you think? Yeah, that was part of my turning 30, deciding I hadn't done enough with my life. And I knew inside me, I was an author. I, like I knew I had a book in me. If you yeah. ask me like, what makes, you know, what makes you, you, I knew I was going to get an MBA. I ended up at Columbia. I knew I was going to be an author, knew I'd be on the Inc 5,000 list. I just know certain things about who I am. And so I actually, as I said earlier, like I didn't set out to write about or speak about honesty. I actually wrote a marketing book. And when I queried, like I queried like 400 nonfiction agents, many of whom got back to me and said, you'll never be a published author. This isn't the way you do this. Uh, you know, don't email me again. Luckily one signed me. And as soon as he did, he turned around and he said, uh, all right, cool. This is great. But by the way, this is not a marketing book. It's a book about like honesty and business and life. And I was like, well, clearly you didn't read the cover because it says it's a marketing book right on it. So maybe I signed with the wrong guy, go home. I'm looking at it and I'm like, holy shit, he's right. This is much bigger than just communications, marketing sales. It has those implications, but it's also about how do we live as a society how do we create results in our life? How do we create results in a culture of a business? And you know, I have chapters on leadership, management, sales, marketing, finance, big, you know, big, big learnings in finance with honesty. Not just as you'd think, you know, don't break the rules, but how do we think long term? How do we think about the way we've set up our, our capitalist system and the stock market and quarterly earnings and all this other stuff that gets in the way of doing what we really should do for the benefit of stakeholders. So it really crossed all those avenues. And, um, you know, if anyone's out there and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to write a book, be an author. My, my words are good luck. I, it is, it's so exhausting, Brian. I mean, it's, so, it is exhausting. So much more work, so much more um, emotional toll than I would have thought because everything that I think and feel is, is in that book in words, right? So, you know, in the last manuscript, I passed back, back to the publisher they were like, okay, well, that's it. You can't uh, make any more edits. And I was like, great. I'm going to have some sort of bias in there, right? I'm the honesty guy. So I'm going to be the first one to admit. I'm sure that something I've said in there, it you know, represents some piece of me that that's probably not true. And now I can never take that back. So that was a little scary. But you know, 
nothing in life is worth having unless it's difficult, right? You put a version two out, right? You <laughs> I guess I could, but you know what? It's, I'm, I'm also not afraid like the CEOs in my book to look at something and be like, oh, you're right. That was shitty of me to say. Um, guess I'm going to have to change that. And I'm willing yeah. to be honest about it. What was the, the time gap between when you actually thought about, all right, I'm going to write a book to actually finishing the book? How Four long years. did that take? Four years. Okay. And what was the writing process? Was it, do you sit down and pump it out you know, like a week at a time? Did you kind of just every once yeah. in a while, right? How, how did you do it? So, so I have a, a free Facebook group for any aspiring writer who does want to write a book. I have a free Facebook group that'll walk you through everything from like, how do I find my idea to how do I get an agent and a publisher and a forward writer and endorsements and the whole deal. If you go to petercosloy.com slash go, you'll find the link in there. The, the shortest story I'll tell you, Brian, is that there's a lot of different ways that writers go about this. Some are all about habit, like sit down and write 200 words a day or 500 words a day to kickstart it. I found myself in long droughts where I just couldn't, I couldn't get myself to pour into Microsoft Word what I really wanted to say. And then I would get a spark at 7 a.m. on a Tuesday and be like, okay, I'm just going to sit down and write this. Like I would cancel all my meetings and just sit down and like crank and do three chapters at a clip because it was pouring out and I had to capitalize on that. And so, you know, I, I obviously, you know, I wrote, uh, wrote a draft, did a book proposal. There's a whole template for a book proposal. I had to like, I had to learn all this shit, very specific how publishing works. And after that, and a publisher picked it up, then I write draft one, right? So I struggle with draft one. It took me like a year, finally submitted to the editor. I'm so proud of it. And a few weeks goes by and she emails me back. says, hey, I've attached the draft with my comments. Um, it looked super great, awesome. I just need you to rewrite uh, 13 of the chapters. Well, there's only 14 chapters in the whole damn book, Brian. So I was like, great, well, awesome. Okay, good. And um, that was the first of a few rewrites. I probably did two and a half complete rewrites. And there are pieces of what I you know, originally wanted, but the structure and the flow is completely different and thank goodness because it's in my, it makes sense in my head because I've gone through the bell curve of like I don't know anything about this I know a ton about this oh and now it's like it's simple again and I get it the problem with anyone who's researched or become any sort of expert on any topic is they're always on the back side of that curve but the reader is way back here at the beginning like I have to take you from beginning to end in a book. I can't assume you know everything I know. So it was super helpful to have an editor who could take me out of my own head and help me structure that in a better way. Well, is there any, I, I guess if someone's thinking about, you mentioned the idea and stuff, if someone's thinking about writing a book, what's what's their first step? Like, what do you, what do you think gets them out of the, the batter's box? Well, it, you know, it depends. On, first of all, you have to be clear about what kind of book you want to write. You know, is it a fictional story about a couple of purple unicorns in Puerto Rico or is it, you know, a, a business book or, is, you know, what is it, right? After that, what I encourage people to do is, is deep self-exploration. What makes you so happy you want to cry? What makes you so pissed off you want to cry? You know, what, what really gets you? Because if you can figure that out, you've tapped into one of your core values. You know, one of my core values is honesty. Just cut the shit and be honest. It get like watching everything happen with this pandemic has just killed me. I'm like, what, what is happening here? Like, just tell people what they need to hear and the truth. Um, and they'll be respected for it. it. It like burns me up and say, you can hear the passion, right? So I know right there, there's probably a, a book in that because I want everyone to remember, it's not just write the book. 
it's go on a hundred podcasts and a hundred radio shows and television and weave it into a TEDx talk and turn it into a keynote and a workshop. You have to love the material and be passionate about it. Otherwise, you're just going to get burnt out and say, forget this. Like, I, you know, I've, I've tapped out on it. I'm bored with it. I got to move on. That's not going to carry you to the finish line. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. The last thing on the book is what has been obviously doing some podcasts. Has there been any some creative things that you're thinking about doing to promote it? Crazy things. So I'm doing everything in my power that I think I can do, right? You know, podcasts are great because they live for a long time. You know, this will be out there on social media and findable. One thing I did that I thought was, was cool and fun is I put together a list of 50 super influential people. And I put together a box and in the box was uh, a sustainable wine bottle engraved with their name that you could uh, put together like a puzzle into a planter. And I included a copy of my book and a letter that was printed on wildflower seed paper so that you could like cut the letter up and plant it in the planter and it would grow wildflowers. Hmm. And my whole message was uh, one of sustainability. Look, what's going on right now with all the pervasive dishonesty we have, it's just not sustainable. You look at Wells Fargo account scandal, Volkswagen diesel emission scandal, college scandal, that like it goes on and on, right? The truth is coming out. We all have smartphones. We're all recording the murder of George Floyd. We all see it with our own eyes, okay? It's not sustainable. What is is honesty? And, um, and so I gave, you know, gave them that message and said, look, this is what I'm really passionate about and I, I could really use your help promoting. And so um, that was a super fun project that, that I just thought was great. So hmm. those gift boxes are out and I'm already getting some, some good feedback. That's awesome. Cool. Um, let me ask you this then. Let, let's end on this point. I appreciate your time kind of talking through some of your journey. Sure. You, let, let's say Doc Brown comes, you jump in the DeLorean, you got to go back to the, you got to go back to the figure skating days. Oh boy. Um, but the, the fun is you only have a post-it note to write on. What piece of advice is going to be the most impactful for that 17 year old figure skater um, to go on in their life? Stop worrying. That's what I would write. As my business partner always says, worry doesn't solve anything. In fact, it gets in our way. It is, a, it is one of the most dishonest um, feelings and emotions and thought process that I think we have because of what we talked about at the beginning. A lot of it is just happenstance and serendipity and putting yourself in the best position you can and then hoping it goes your way. And if it doesn't, then you go on to the next thing. But the worry is just so not constructive. And I, I saw how destructive it was to me. So you, did you get caught up in that a lot then you're saying when you were younger, just kind of overthinking not before even the action happens, overthinking the what could happen? When you say younger, do you mean like this morning? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, haven't left, yeah, I haven't left that you know, so far. It still is a habit, a really bad habit that I'm, I'm working on. Hopefully uh, I won't have to work on for, for too much longer, but yeah, it's, it, it can be damaging. Well, Peter, where can everyone find you online? Where's the best place to connect? Come have an honest conversation with me. Uh, I'm at honesttogreatness.com, honesttogreatness.com. That'll just bring you to petercausadoy.com, but my last name is a pain in the neck to pronounce, so uh, I won't make you go spell it. So yeah, honesttogreatness.com. You can take my 21-question honesty quiz, which will tell you what honesty profile you are and how honest you really are, if you're brave enough to know. Um, I'm the worst millennial ever, but I am on all the social media channels. So you can certainly reach me there. And uh, there is a bonus page, petercausadoy.com slash bonus. 
for, particularly for entrepreneurs, if you buy multiple copies, you get access to classes I've taught, one-on-one -on -one time with me, uh, my monthly group of entrepreneurs, a whole bunch of goodies. So uh, definitely check that out. And I hope you like the honest, uh, I hope you like the book. If you don't, yeah, at least you know you can be honest about it. I'll link all that in the uh, show notes. Peter, awesome to have you on. Really appreciate and uh, really appreciate having you and good luck with the, uh, the success of the book. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed that interview and thanks again for stopping by. And just one more quick thing before you run along on your day. You know, this podcast has grown very organically since I started it over two and a half years ago. So anything you can do to share this episode out to your network or maybe go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. Um, anything you can do at all, I'd certainly be appreciative of it. Um, if you'd like to connect with me online, my website, brianondraco.com, or head over to Instagram or LinkedIn and Twitter, at brianondraco, or type my name, brianondraco, and it'll come up. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.